My name is Scott. I'm lead pastor here at First Christian Church. We're really glad you're here with us this morning. We are doing a standalone sermon today that is not a part of a series called something like Multi-Site Church, What and Why. Um, so you're going to want to turn to Acts, the first chapter. If you need a Bible, you need a program, space for notes, study questions for life groups or for yourself, those are in the programs, the bulletins coming down the aisles there. So just uh, lift up your hands there and they will get you hooked up with a Bible. If you need a Bible, take it. It's yours. Put your name in it. Pastor says you can steal. Just this one time. So I want you to turn to Acts, the first chapter. We'll be hanging out there. There will be a few different places, um, but all in that same book of Acts. Um, next week, we begin a four-week series uh, called Reachable, um, and uh, we're going to be studying in Reachable uh, four weeks in the early church, um, especially in the life of people like Paul and the early disciples, um, early missionaries, um, this, this idea that sometimes reaching the unchurched or non-believers may seem or feel to us like a bit of an, an improbable, uh, maybe even at times, sadly, an inconvenient kind of goal. Uh, and, and this idea for believers of reaching those who don't believe in Jesus can feel intimidating to us. Um, so I get it. But we're going to talk about how um, they're actually far more reachable <laughs> because God's plan and God's power are what make all this work. Um, so... Uh, we believe that God will use our efforts to reach those who may seem or feel unreachable. And that begins uh, next Sunday for four weeks. Um, a few quick things uh, I'd like you to consider helping with just to get them out there so you can know some ways that you might be able to get involved um, because we're going to read Acts 1, 6 through 11 in just a few minutes. Um, so get that handy. Um, but before we get to that, I want to mention a few things. We need people to help with kids, men, helping with take care of children on Monday nights. Um, and Monday nights is when we do regeneration recovery and re-engage marriage ministries um, that happen here in this room. Kids downstairs being taken care of. So we need some people to help with that. Um, see Ben Weaver, our kids director, or somebody back in the hub back there with a the lanyard. And they'll hook you up, and uh, we need your help with that. We also need people to help pitch in this coming Saturday with a facility maintenance day. Um, our director of facilities, Dan Enright, is going to come up later and tell you about that, but some details are on that. We need some people who, like, if you have some expertise and you have tools and you know what you're doing, kind of, come on and help. Uh, if you're like me and you don't really have many tools and you kind of don't know what you're doing, um, come along anyway, and Dan and others who know things will help you out. Um, plenty of work to do this Saturday details in the bulletin there. And then also we need people to help with the chains, uh, moving the chains at the football games at Chucky Doak High School. Um, the chains are where you know where the football goes. They're just so you <laughs> there are chains in football. Um, and then lastly, we need your help uh, continuing to alleviate some space problems, which those of y'all who've been here for a while on second service, uh, for second service for a number of weeks can see we've got some spaces we didn't have, which is great, which means thank you people downstairs. You know who you are. There are a couple dozen probably downstairs who are helping alleviate space. We've also had some second service people move to first service. We've actually uh, had a little more in first service than we've had in second service. So thank you for helping with our space problems. If you want to know how to do that, there are a number of ways. You can go to that little link there. Um, and then friendly reminder, 
Last thing before we get to Acts 1, um, please grab one or two or five or 12 of these free FCC stickers. Uh, put them on your car window or bumper or logo or laptop or, or laptop or phone or forehead um, so that they are ubiquitous in Greene County, so that they're omnipresent. Let's go ahead and read uh, together Acts, the first chapter. We're going to be answering the question, what is a multi-site church and why are we becoming one? Uh, Both in scriptural, biblical terms as well as practically. So we're going to start there in Acts 1. Let's read this together, 6 through 11, and then we'll pray and get our hearts ready to hear from God today. It says this, So when they came, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together, friends. Father, We take this moment now to to rest in the truth that you are the creator of the universe, that you are um, sovereign, that you are God, um, and that you are worthy of our praise, and that you deserve all glory, and that you are altogether good and holy and perfect beyond our best descriptions of you. And so in the quiet of this moment, we rest in the truth that you are God and that you have it all taken care of. And our lives are in your hands. And that as we sang earlier, uh, we want to continue to build our lives on the foundational truth that... uh, you know better for us than we do for ourselves. And so we lean into that truth. We trust it today. And we submit ourselves to that so that as you speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would instruct us and shape us and mold us after the image of your son, Jesus. So that we would recognize with greater depth and clarity the amazing truth that you loved us even when we were in rebellion against you. And you extended to us grace, you gave to us mercy, and that you clothed us in white robes of righteousness achieved for us by your son Jesus. And so we ask that you would continue to shape our lives after that image of your son Jesus so that others around us would see in us the truth that you're a God who loves us. So that as we give ourselves to the mission of extending your grace 
to others. That not only would people come to know you, but that we would find satisfaction and peace and contentment and joy. That indeed our lives would be wrapped up in this truth, Lord, that you created us for your goodness and glory. So, Father, teach us what that looks like individually, um, as, as marriages, as families, um, as a body of believers. So that you would use us for your purposes. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So, I've told this story um, once before. So some of you might recognize it. Um, I've only told it once. Don't worry. This might be the last time. But a few of you, as soon as I mention this, will kind of know where I'm headed, Um, which means probably 25% of you might have an inkling of a a memory about it. So um, in the volunteer headquarters over here, we call it VHQ. Uh, Volunteer headquarters is where on Sunday mornings we take care of our Sunday morning volunteers. We feed them. Um, we um, take care of them. We, we tell them, hey, here's what you're going to be doing today. Um, and we give them a little huddle time together. We say, hey, here's your assignment. Here's your assignment. And we get together and we pray. And uh, we do lots of cool stuff in there like eat donuts and drink coffee. So in the VHQ, um, <laughs> there's this water pitcher. And uh, in this VHQ, there's this water pitcher that says right on top. It's real easy to see. It's, it's real easy. You can't miss it. It's right on the top of the water pitcher. Um, it says, plain as day, right on the top, it says, please refill after each use. Right on top. Please refill after each use. Right on the lid. Can't miss it. So anyway, several months ago, it was Sunday morning. I'm getting ready uh, for Sunday morning, getting details and uh, I needed some water for my trusty um, Sunday morning preaching mug. And the service countdown was like at 60 seconds. And so I ran into VHQ um, to get my uh, water and pour myself some water out of that water pitcher that says, by the way, if you didn't catch this, please refill after each use. Yeah. Uh, Because I'm in a hurry and I'm in there and I need my water pitcher. It's at 60 seconds. I think to myself, it's just a cup of water. I'm in a hurry. The clock's probably down to 45 seconds or so. I'll just pour it real quick and go. No one will know the difference. Nobody will even care. I am the pastor for crying out loud. I need to be in that room. Nobody will think a thing of it. But then I thought real quickly on the heels of that, because I got a lot of Christian guilt as a Wakefield. I thought, Scott, your parents taught you better. Your parents taught you better. Uh, You're not above the rules. It's right on the lid. Did I mention this? Please refill after each use. Even if you're the president of the United States, you should follow the instructions on the lid. So I turned back and I took the extra 10 seconds to refill the water pitcher. And then I left the VHQ uh, right with God, my parents, my conscience, and my fellow man. By the way, parenthetically, for the record, there are more than a few lazy degenerates around here (laughs) who believe it perfectly acceptable to just leave the water pitcher unfilled because they know that other guilt-ridden people like me will pick up the slack after them. You know who you are. (laughs) And and by the way, we have cameras all over this building. (laughs) 
We know who you are. Yes. We take, uh, apparently we take refilling the water pitcher very seriously here. So simple question, and it has a simple answer, and you already know the answer as soon as I ask it. Why refill the water pitcher? We refill the water pitcher so when the next person comes, it's ready to pour water. We all, we all tracking so far, yeah? Now here's a quick lesson in how water pitchers, spiritual growth, making disciples, and churches work. If we all just take from the water pitcher for ourselves without refilling, then the pitcher can only serve just a few people. But if we're in the practice of refilling the water pitcher for the sake of others, everyone who comes to it can use it. This is the Christian life and the church. We have to be constantly refilling our pitchers. And we want to be people and we want to be a church that pays close attention to ensuring, in effect, that our pitchers are always ready to pour out for the sake of the next person who walks in these doors needing a forever relationship with Jesus, even if they don't have any idea how to fill a water pitcher themselves. You see, friends, the gospel comes, uh, in a sense, it comes with a condition. And it's not the condition of earning it. It's the condition of giving it away. That's in keeping with the gift of grace that is Jesus. And if you're not producing for the next person coming after you, if you're not giving away the gospel, then you haven't really understood the fullness of the nature of the gift of grace that you've received. You see, friends, having received Jesus comes with the responsibility to be always giving away Jesus. That's why we state our mission up front as helping people find and follow Jesus. Having received Jesus comes with the responsibility to be always giving away Jesus. Now, here's the crazy thing. At the beginning of the book of Acts, in that passage that we just read in Acts 1, this was a lesson, this having received Jesus means always giving away Jesus. This was a lesson that the first disciples hadn't really learned yet. I know that may sound sort of hard to believe, uh, but let me show you what I mean. Look at Acts 1-6 uh, with me, if you would, please. This is where Jesus is about to um, ascend. This is where he's about to ascend back to the Father. And he is getting ready uh, to leave the disciples, the first followers, with this responsibility of carrying on the work, of refilling the pitcher of sorts. And notice the weird question they ask. Look at verse 6, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together, meaning in Jerusalem, they were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So think about this here. Jesus had just come back from the dead. He was now alive. The tomb was empty. He was resurrected. And they knew, based on Old Testament passages, a whole bunch of them, Joel 2, for example, Ezekiel 37 and 39, um, Isaiah 32, um, they knew from the Old Testament and because Jesus had just told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come in power when the Messiah arrived during the Messianic age. And so they think, aha, 
Jesus is back from the dead. The Holy Spirit is coming. So this must be when Jesus defeats the Romans, he takes over and he restores the nation of Israel to its rightful place of power. And we sit back and relax and enjoy the Messiah kicking butt against the bad guys. That's a little bit of a Wakefield paraphrase, but that's the gist of what they feel as they're asking this question here. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're hoping that Jesus is back in full force uh, to sort of establish a, a military and political earthly kingdom so that they could overthrow the Romans and put everything back to the way it should be and they would just sit back and enjoy this new sort of heaven on earth here. But what they didn't yet fully understand was that God's kingdom is a spiritually established kingdom and that Jesus was going to be asking them to participate. (laughs) He was going to be asking them to participate in establishing this kingdom. They were thinking he was going to do it all for them. And they would just sit back and enjoy it, which will happen Sunday, yes. (laughs) We will still have some work in heaven, but... It's going to be different than today. Today there's work. And this is where that moment of aha happened for the disciples. And they realize, oh, we have to be part of this. We have to be part of communicating the gospel to others. If we've received Jesus, it comes with the responsibility of also giving away Jesus. Keep reading. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 7 and 8. He said to them, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his authority. In other words, that's not your role and concern. It's not for you to know those things. And then he says this. This is huge. But you, in other words, your responsibility, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, listen up, guys. This isn't something that I just do for you, and you sit and rest on those laurels. You carry up this banner for me. The Spirit empowers you, and you do this work moving forward. It is something I, through the Spirit, do through you and and, and in you. I'm leaving you. This is that moment where the disciples go, oh my, I'm leaving you and you are now in charge of this mission. This mission is going to move forward in power when the Holy Spirit comes and you act as my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is their immediate context, the city in which they found themselves, Judea and Samaria, the the region around them, and then to the end of the earth. That's a big mission. Right? Think about that. It's not just like my little place here, but it's like the whole world. Jesus had a vision that exceeded what they saw here. So they just asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Are you going to do this now, Jesus? Now that you're back? Please? Nope. First, you take over and carry on this mission. This is something we sort of easily take for granted because we have the rest of the New Testament. We have 2,000 years of history. Many of us who have followed Jesus for a while kind of know how this turns out, right? But think about this. We have to go back to the fundamentals every once in a while and remember what our mission really is. And this is a moment, if we can read what's going on here in the passage, this is a moment for the disciples where they go, oh my, this is a big deal. 
I didn't, I didn't foresee this. And then look at verse 9. This is kind of funny um, how this is stated here. Um, but it helps solidify the point that Jesus was making, um, that it was their turn. <laughs> when he had said these things, verse 9, as they, the disciples, were looking on, he was lifted up. He was ascended, and, on a, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So, boom, Jesus ascends, and they're standing there looking up at the sky. And they're start probably having this moment of, oh, oh, you meant, you meant like right now. Okay. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, obviously angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? Uh, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? The word there is like uh, gazing into heaven. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come back someday, but for now, it's time to work. I don't know what you think your life's about. <laughs> But this is one of those times where you have to realize we're not, we're not given these gifts and talents and resources we have for the sake of establishing our kingdom here on earth. And, and guess what? Your personal satisfaction and contentment and peace and joy, even this side of heaven, is found in giving those talents and those gifts and those resources away just like the disciples. It's not time to sit here and go, uh, it's time to get to work. We've been commissioned to be witnesses, not stargazers. So, so get this. Think about this moment here. If it wasn't clear <laughs> to the disciples earlier, I mean, it was clear now. Jesus was gone, and they were left to carry on the mission. Having received Jesus, they were now left to give away Jesus. So that's exactly what they did. And we're going to look a little bit at Acts here about what developed from here. And how the church grew big time, like wildfire. And it began to create space issues uh, for the first Christians in Jerusalem. And I want to show you some of how that growth happened in Acts and how they dealt with those space issues in a way that parallels some of what we've experienced and that looks a lot more like multi-site than you may think. So today we're answering the what and the why of why we're becoming a multi-site church by looking briefly at um, a form of multi-site in Acts and why they needed to do that. So here in Acts 1, there were about 120 followers of Jesus, all right, when this scene happens in 6 through 11. 120 followers of Jesus. We know this from Acts 1.15, okay? But notice what quickly happens. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection... Some of us know this as Pentecost. Pentecost is just a word that means 50th. So 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, they began to preach. And instantly, on Pentecost, on day 50, there were more people than they could possibly handle. More people than they had room for. Look at Acts 2.41 real quick. We're going to look at just a couple places here in Acts. In 2.41, toward the end of that chapter, this is Peter preaching here. And he's one of the original 12 uh, disciples. Uh, one of the original 12 uh, apostles who established the first church. It says this in verse 41. So those who received his 
word, meaning Peter was preaching. So those who heard him preach and those who received Jesus, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So think about this. Overnight, the church went from 120 believers to 3,000 believers just 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, which meant, which meant they had space problems. gets worse. Turn the page uh, to Acts 4.4. 4. Acts 4.4, 4, the disciples kept preaching. People kept coming to faith to Christ. And it says this in verse 4, chapter 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men, only men were counted uh, often because of purposes of the military and politics. Uh, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000 at this point, which means conservatively... Um, in just the city of Jerusalem, there likely were well over 10,000 just over seven weeks past the resurrection who were following Jesus, which is to say the early church, whether you like the word or not, whether you think megachurches are good or bad or you hate them or you love them, the first church was a megachurch. And when you get to heaven, guess what's going to be? A lot larger than this. Okay? So, where did they put everybody? Where did they put everybody when they gathered for worship? Well, we know from Acts 2.46 that these first Christians were gathering in a couple places, especially early on, the temple courts and in homes. But we also know from the beginning of Acts 4 that the Jewish authorities didn't exactly take kindly to them uh, gathering in the temple courts, right? So they began to sort of militantly push them out. I mean, literally, they militantly uh, pushed them out um, because they were clogging up their temple courts. So they began to meet primarily in homes. As all of this preaching and 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 men, which was really 10,000 plus, just while that was going on, they began to move to homes. Couple this with the fact that in quite a few places, three in the book of Acts alone, the New Testament refers to the church or one church in such and such a city while they were gathering in homes for worship. Think about that. One church in this city while they were gathering in multiple locations for worship. In Romans 16:5, Paul says, hey, greet the church that meets at this home. So we see that kind of language in a number of places in the New Testament. Not only that, but the Jerusalem church, which is sort of the mothership, um, the Jerusalem church, which was the first place where the church began, sent out leaders to plant churches in nearby cities while still retaining authority over those churches with the centralized leadership. We know this from Acts 15. So let me, let me summarize and put together these three things we've just said. Number one, thousands of Christians in the same city gathering for worship in various meeting places. Two, being called the church or one church by the New Testament writers themselves. Thirdly, authority and oversight for a church in another city being retained by the sending church. Put those three together and you have a biblical precedent for an early form of multi-site church, one church in multiple locations. So in basic terms, as described in the New Testament, the what of multi-site is one church meeting in multiple locations, and the why of multi-site is because the growth created the need for more meeting spaces. So what does all that mean for us? 
What does that mean for us at First Christian Church in practical terms? I want to spend just the last few minutes here giving some real practical answers to these questions of what is a multi-site church and why are we becoming one, okay? Those two questions, what and why. So the first question is what? And this won't take us too long. We'll put this on screen. Quick little definition. A multi-site church is one church meeting in multiple locations with the same vision, leaders, budget, programming, and resources. There are many ways to do all that. There are more specifics than that, but that's, that's the high-level categories of what is a multi-site church. Um, we're going to be telling you in, the number, in a number of months here a whole lot more for uh, you to know the specifics of this, but this is a high-level definition of what it is. Um, it's the same vision, leaders, budget, programming, and resources. In our case, it's going to be the same worship content and preaching at all of the locations. In fact, everything that happens at one campus is going to happen at another campus. Um, There's a form of multi-site that we are doing, in fact, this morning with multiple services. Uh, In fact, we've tried uh, another form of multi-site with multiple services and multiple venues on the same campus. So it's something that we've sort of functionally been doing to accommodate uh, growth for quite a few years. Uh, But the way, just for a little clarification, the way we're going to do multi-site is a form of what we call church planting. It's a form of church planting because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking a minimum of 125 plus adults, a minimum of 125 adults, so likely 175 to 200 kids. uh, I'm sorry, 175 to 200 with kids. Yeah, we still want some people to be here. So a minimum of 125 adults, perhaps as many as 200-ish or so with kids, um, to agree to leave this location to go plant at another location. So for us, it's a form of church planting to start another campus, a first Christian church. So there's a lot more uh, about that, but that's because just kind of a high-level explanation of what is a multi-site church. So why are we becoming a multi-site church? Just a few minutes to list five reasons um, of why we are embracing multi-site. Number one, um, everything shows... um, that multi-site is an effective strategy to accommodate and accelerate existing growth, okay? Uh, Generally, uh, what we're seeing is that churches that do this, that are already growing, um, it accommodates that growth and often accelerates it. Um, Just let me tell you some stats about multi-site real quick for this first point. There are 8,000 plus multi-site churches in America right now. And a uh, 2014 study showed that 85% of those 8,000-plus churches are growing at an average yearly rate of 14%. 90% of multi-site churches report that going multi-site increases participation among volunteers and increases involvement with lay people. Uh, the rate of long-term viability of a multi-site campus is 90%, which is considerably better than what we call traditional church planting. When compared with traditional church planting, multi-site campuses grow more and they have a greater impact at reaching unchurch non-believers. Also, when compared with the existing campuses, the Sending Church campus is the existing campus, the new campus typically reports doing better with personal spiritual growth, volunteer participation, and reaching the unchurched. So, 
just sort of some stats um, that we're learning about how this works generally. Now, now the second thing here, we're embracing multi-site because we are expecting, I'm sorry, we're experiencing uh, growth and capacity issues of our own. So multi-site's not a good strategy if you're not growing. It's not necessarily a strategy, strategy to create the growth. It's a strategy to accommodate uh, and even accelerate existing growth that is happening. So here's some recent stats, and not everybody here is a number person, so some of you all might sort of glaze over, like, Bleh. but um, if you're a numbers person, buckle up, cool stuff to tell you. Starting in 2015, the last four years of growth in worship attendance have been 10%, 12%, 17%, and year to date, uh, jury is still out, but it looks like it's going to be more than 17%. In 2018, We've gone from the first quarter of attendance before worship being 400 to the last four weeks being 480. This year, we've baptized 17 people and welcomed 43 new members. In 2018, we have had over 800 first-time guests to our worship services, which is a lot. Last cool stat. I want to share with you. There's a picture I want to show you here uh, from this past Wednesday night. Um, we had 90 uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers here in the student center with us just this past week. Um, one more category of stats I want to tell you about. Um, generally, though, I don't, I'm not going to tell you all these numbers. Uh, we have a surplus of giving. That's allowed us to do a number of things this year that are really important for us as we go multi-site. Um, things like in about six-ish weeks, we have a brand new website we're going to launch um, that is going to be amazing. Um, and it's part of us launching a formal capital campaign uh, for how we fund going multi-site. We're going to ask you to help us to do some serious online guerrilla grassroots marketing uh, when we launch that new website. Um, and don't you worry, we will give you plenty of opportunity uh, to learn how you might help us with this capital campaign. Um, and you'll also be de delighted to know that we already have commitments of 50% of the total that we need for um, going multi-site, uh, most of which came from our surplus of giving. So this surplus of giving has um, already been producing for us the financial infrastructure to move forward with this vision, which is something we're trying to build into what we're doing in becoming multi-site for the third, fourth, 17th campus. So one more thing about this giving surplus. Um, it's allowed us to do things like working behind the scenes um, for the last number of months to hire a new full-time campus pastor from within our congregation that we're going to be presenting to you in just the next number of days. Um, we've been able to do important things like that, as well as coaching and consulting and visiting with those who are already leading a multi-site congregation. Now, I don't expect you to know or remember all that. Um, don't worry, we'll put it on paper and send it to you about five times. Those numbers aren't the point, of course. We count people because people count. These numbers all represent people for whom Jesus died. And in an environment like Green County, where upwards of 80% of churches are plateaued or declining, we are experiencing God's blessing and favor. So we think multi-site's a good strategy for, to, for accommodating the growth we're experiencing and accelerating that growth. Um, third thing I want to just say is that going multi also allows us um, to, in a sense, go big while staying small. 
There are a number of ways that this is uh, really helpful for us. It allows us uh, to produce excellent uh, ministry at a sort of big church level while staying small on multiple smaller campuses. It allows us to reach more people while keeping campus size small so that we can maintain closer personal contact. It enables us to leverage resources across the campuses, keeping costs and resources more efficient. Going multi-site in the way that we are is at least 10, perhaps 20 times cheaper than relocating, expanding this building, buying land, or building a larger building. So it's something that uh, is a great use of resources. Fourth uh, reason for us going multi-site is this. Um, I'm just going to encapsulate a lot by saying we are embracing (laughs) multi-site as a strategy for growing and reaching our city, not merely as a temporary way to deal with space problems, uh, but as a long-term strategy to activate people's gifts, to develop leaders, to plant churches, to reach new people, and to expand the kingdom. Multi-site is actually a total reset in our understanding of what a church is and what a church does. Because it becomes a system, a pipeline, of providing more places for more people to use their gifts so that disciple-making, so that leadership development, so that gift-activating, so that multiplication happens at every level of every ministry throughout the organization so that more campuses are launched and more people are reached. Going launch. Uh, Going multi-site is actually a strategy for launching campuses and planting churches, which is corporately writ large what we are meant to do as disciples who follow Jesus, reproduce ourselves in the life of another. (laughs) Finally, we believe that uh, we actually believe we're ready for this, which sounds scary for me to say out loud, but I think we're ready. (laughs) Stats from multi-site churches we've studied, and uh, you can look these things up too. Uh, 87% of campus pastors are found from within the congregation. And the number one factor in the success of multi-sites is the campus pastor. Um, So we have learned that you don't hire them from outside. You grow them from the inside. And we actually already have two campus pastors, both of whom are from the inside, that we are going to introduce to you uh, very soon one of which is going to require um, a congregational vote because it involves hiring him from, by the way, the surplus money that we've uh, had this year. So we believe God's called us to steward uh, a greater influence for the sake of the gospel with integrity um, so that we continue to become people and a church um, that, that, that reach the unchurched all over our community. Uh, theologically and biblically, uh, the why for us as followers of Jesus, begins way back in Genesis 1, where the very first spoken command to Adam and Eve from God is be fruitful and multiply. And it continues with Abraham in Genesis 12, going faithfully to a new land to carry God's blessing to others. Blessed to be a blessing, it says. And it carries through with God's call to the people of Israel to be a light to the nations, And it carries through with Jesus' call to the disciples in Acts 1.8 to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. And it carries through to us today so that we would carry out the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. So that we would, in effect, uh, keep the pitcher filled 
for the next person who walks in these doors who needs a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray, friends. Lord, you've called us to an important task that requires resources beyond us. It requires your spirit to move in power. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to give us wisdom and courage to say yes to the parts of that that we can. That we would continue, Lord, to give away to others what you've given to us. And that you would make that fruitful, Lord, for the purposes of communicating your goodness and glory. Father, we ask that uh, as we do that, we would have an intimacy of relationship with you that follows after your path to the cross which was marked by sacrifice and selflessness and giving away of yourself so that we could know you even when we were in rebellion against you. So Father, bring us into close personal relationship with you such that your heart for the lost would be something that we carry. We recognize, Lord, that you've given us everything we call our own for the sake, not just of enjoying those things here on earth, but enjoying the process of those things being used by you for your goodness and glory being communicated. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and that he gives us life. Uh, Give us, Lord, a vision for our own lives, for our marriages and families, for this congregation uh, that is in keeping with your vision to save us to extend to us grace we didn't deserve and that we couldn't earn. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So friends, real briefly, this is uh, the rest of the service where um, we respond in whatever way is appropriate or helpful for you. And that could be a number of ways. If, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've been baptized and you're looking for a church home, uh, to be a member at First Christian is just to, to, to say publicly, um, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Uh, which we accept as, as, a, as a covenant with us for your growth and for ours. Um, if you want to name Jesus as Lord, uh, perhaps for the first time um, in the waters of baptism, that symbolizes the death to self and being raised to new life in Christ, that the Holy Spirit makes us new and gives to us the righteousness of Jesus that we otherwise couldn't earn. Uh, perhaps this whole talk of Jesus and the gospel is new for you um, and you have questions about it uh, but you're struggling with it or you're searching um, maybe you want to know what the next step is we'd love to talk with you maybe if you need to be prayed for to be prayed with because there are burdens um, in your life um, that you need to share with others uh, scripture says um, that the body of Christ is here to carry that burden with you um, so we want to pray with you and, and help lift up those needs with you. We have friends from the care team who are here ready to talk to you, uh, see them during the service, see them afterwards. Um, they'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and help you with whatever next step is uh, best for you in your walk with the Lord. Let's go ahead and stand and sing together.
And without you, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Lord, I need. 